This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Wednesday, May 3rd. I'm Nyla Boudou. Here's what you need to know today. What to expect from the Hollywood writer's strike. Plus, the Biden administration prepares for an influx at the southern border. But first, what new data tells us about Asian Americans and belonging. That's today's one big thing. Half of Asian Americans say they don't feel safe in this country, and nearly 80 percent of Asian Americans don't fully feel they belong and are accepted. Those are the disappointing takeaways from the latest report from the Asian American Foundation. Norman Chen is back with us to go over these results, which also coincide with the start of AAPI Heritage Month. He's the CEO of the Asian American Foundation. Hi, Norman. Welcome back to Axios Today. Hi, Nylan. Thanks for having me again. Unfortunately, the headline from this report is the sense of belonging, or maybe we should say disbelonging, among Asian Americans is pronounced. Asian Americans are the racial group most likely in this country when we compare to Black, white, and Hispanic Americans that don't feel a sense of belonging or acceptance. It's sad but true, and we've seen this over the last two years, that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders overall, as you said, feel the least likely to truly belong in this, our our home country. Um, and that's really disturbing. We've learned this year that also other groups like Hispanic Americans and Black Americans share that deep sense of lack of belonging. And that's really something that our society needs to address. This is the third year you've been doing this. How does that question compare to the first year? It has been largely consistent. Uh, we've had it really just in the survey just for the last two years, Nyla. So last year and this year. And last year we identified again that Asian Americans are the least likely to truly belong This year, we're able to go deeper and ask, why do you not feel like you belong? And the results are really enlightening. The number one reason why people say they don't feel like they belong is that they experience discrimination. Imagine if you're in a room in a school and public transportation and someone insults you, you know, spits at you or does something terrible to you. That really creates a fear and lack of belonging. And our community has experienced that, which contributes to this lack of belonging in their lives. The second reason is that they don't see themselves in positions of power, the lack of role models. Those are the two key insights we gained this year about why we don't feel like we truly belong. One of the toughest parts of this data is that this is especially acute among young Asian American women. Why is that? We do find that youth in general uh, feel less of a sense of belonging because they're going through their search for their identity. But women, Asian American women, have been so marginalized in the corporate world, for example, and not represented at senior leadership levels. That's a problem. They also have been sexualized and fetishized in media so that you have images of Asian American women as the dragon lady or as the prostitute or as the masseuse worker. And so those images in the public mind and in media are very damaging. One of the data points I think is important for us to talk about is the disparity between how China is viewed as a threat to national security and then how that relates to Chinese Americans. Of course, one of many AAPI groups, how does that translate into how Chinese and other Asian Americans are viewed in this country? 
you know, this year we've really seen, especially as this report was being compiled, that the weather balloon incident did affect the perception of Americans and seeing China as a military threat, not just an economic threat. But the feeling towards Chinese Americans thus far has not also continued negatively. People still see Chinese Americans as um, very positively. And part of this could be tied to the model minority myth, seeing Chinese Americans and Asian Americans as nice, kind and hardworking and intelligent. But we do worry, you know, that if there was an incident or an inflammation of an event between the U.S. and China, that could lead to more negative feelings towards Chinese Americans and Asian Americans. Unfortunately, we saw that happen during COVID. Because of COVID, there was greater animosity towards uh, Chinese Americans and Asian Americans, which resulted in tens of thousands of attacks. So we are very concerned that this could change very quickly. Today, the Asian American Foundation is also announcing a $65 million investment in a few key areas, including anti-hate and education initiatives, where you all are hoping to enact change. If this time next year, what kind of results are you hoping to see? We're focusing on four key areas, extending our national anti-hate network. So we're moving from three cities right now to nine cities around the country. That will cover over 40% of the aid population just in one year. Number two is to then work in education and really promote more teaching of AAPI history around the country. Thirdly, in terms of narrative change, I think just a key takeaway this year and in previous years was when we asked people to name a prominent or famous Asian American, three years in a row, number one answer is, I don't know. Number two answer is Jackie Chan, who's not Asian American. And number three is Bruce Lee. So again, it shows how we're still largely invisible in American society. And yet when we're thought of, it's still in very stereotypical ways. This year, obviously, with everything everywhere all at once and incredible programs like Beef, we're seeing greater popularity and acceptance. And who knows what one year can, can bring on the narrative change side. And the question we ask ourselves is, who's going to be the first Asian American to replace Jackie Chan as the most famous, most prominent Asian American in the American psyche? That's super exciting to think about. And that's what we're actively working towards, to elevate Asian American leaders and stories in the American consciousness. So, Norman, from that list, I think it's interesting that we have the first Asian-American vice president, Kamala Harris. Did she not make the list? Well, actually, this year, Kamala Harris did emerge as the third person that was cited the most. She came in at just at 1%, uh, so still a very low figure. But she has become more visible. And it's encouraging to see that Americans across the country do recognize Kamala Harris as an Asian-American leader. Norman Chen is CEO of the Asian American Foundation. Thanks for your time, Norman. Thanks, Nyla. Thank you so much. In a moment, the impact of the Hollywood writers' strike. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. After negotiations with the major Hollywood studios fell through, the Writers Guild of America, or WGA, called for its first strike in 15 years. This union represents nearly 12,000 working writers in the entertainment industry. Axios' Tim Basinger has the big picture. The streaming era has radically changed how Hollywood does business, and the writers feel as if they've been left behind in the peak TV content boom, which has seen seasons get shorter and those shows run for fewer seasons. And at the same time, residuals for streaming shows are far less than their broadcasts and counterparts. And this was something that writers traditionally have relied on to kind of cover their costs in between jobs. 
And additionally, the rapid rise of generative AI also has writers concerned that the studios will replace some of their work with machines. It's important to understand that the impact will be felt in ripples, so not everyone all at once. Late night TV shows like The Tonight Show, Saturday Night Live, Real Time with Bill Maher and Jimmy Kimmel Live have already gone dark. The next to feel the impact is daytime soap operas because those shows are usually written and produced much closer to their air date. Now, if the strike goes into the summer, that will impact the scripted TV shows on broadcast, which could lead to delays for the coming fall TV season. If that happens, I would expect networks to order more reality TV and unscripted shows because those writers are not part of the WGA. Now, this is what happened during the last writer strike, which lasted 100 days from late 2007 to early 2008. The streaming services and the film studios, those right now are the least impacted because they produce much of their shows and their movies well in advance, so they have a stockpile of content. But again, the longer this goes on, the more likely those industries will also start to feel some of the impact. That's Axios' Tim Basinger. One more headline for you today. The Biden administration is sending 1,500 troops to the U.S.-Mexico border, the Department of Defense announced yesterday. The troops will not interact with migrants or serve as law enforcement, but will help with logistical and administrative roles. The Department of Homeland Security requested the additional help because it's anticipating a surge of migrants and asylum seekers at the southern border when COVID-19-era restrictions lift on May 11th. Tens of thousands of people were turned away at the border as a result of those restrictions. We'll keep watching this story. And finally, we started the show today talking about Asian American visibility. So here's my question for you this month. Who are your Asian American heroes or favorite artists or scientists? Who are the Asian Americans who bring you joy? And of course, I mean, besides me. Record a voice memo explaining who and why, which you can email to podcasts at axios.com, or you can text to 202-918-4893. And you might hear it on the show this month. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Five years ago, when Tasha Adams was leaving her husband, the founder of Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, she kept it a secret. The one person she told outside her family, the ex-wife of firebrand Alex Jones. This week on the Death, Sex, and Money podcast, hear these two women in conversation for the first time, and Tasha's plans for watching Stuart Rhodes sentencing this month for his role in January 6th. That's on Death, Sex, and Money, wherever you get podcasts.